Hello, 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 and welcome into another episode of Popcorn for Breakfast with your co-host, Kirk. Avatakadabra. <laughs> no, Kirk, this isn't, we're not doing Fantastic Beasts. I thought we were doing something with wizards today. Oh, uh, well, you're not, you're not too far off. Sorcerers, wizards. I could probably, I'm a little bit hoarse. I could probably do the, the Rafe Fiennes. <laughs> Voldemort. <laughs> you know, that was perfect. Uh, I've been practicing. I'm, I'm your other co-host, Cam. I want you to give me your cold so I can play too. So you can, yeah, it's been good. Um, you know, I always say I'm a, I love to sing and I sing, I sing often as, as you well know, Kirk and yes. everyone in my home, there's always music usually coming from me. And, uh, it's, it's actually kind of nice having a cold, you lose the upper register, but the lower tones, man, those silky rich, those lower notes, man, they, they come to fruition and you're like, oh man. You're like, I'm going to sing them I'm country like, songs. Lock them doors and turn. <laughs> That's right. That's me. I'm like, okay, what, what low notes do I want to hit that I, you know, this is my shot. Once every couple months I get a cold, I can really crank them out. Any Johnny Cash song, just yeah. go for it. Yeah. Anything. Sometimes, so, uh. <laughs> like those uh, uh, sh- sea shanties that people do on on TikTok, you know, where they do oh. like all the acapella, like the really low stuff. Um, yeah, I feel like I feel like I can do that, but I, I still can't. But it's nice; I can go a little bit lower, and I like that because I have a pretty high pitched voice in general. But I really feel like I can step into my element, become a baritone, and, and just embrace it. Welcome to the low side, <laughs> yeah, Kirk. I'm jealous jealous of your rich low tones that you can hit but uh as kirk said we are going to be talking about uh wizards as he's called a wizard at times he's called a a sorcerer uh, uh what, what do they call him a master of the mystic arts i think is his official title the sorcerer right. supreme uh not in the mcu yet but in in the comics dr strange himself so if you're tuning in Thank you so much for being here. And you're probably like, wait a second, this is a movie review? Don't we usually do movie news on Monday nights? And you're correct. We usually do. But record scratch, we are going to take this time to dive into Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness because it's the biggest movie on the planet right now. And it's not right. its not particularly close. Um, it grossed $185 million in the domestic box office this weekend, surpassed $450 million in the global box office. So it's off to a roaring start, much like mm-hmm. its predecessors, uh, you know, the, the Spider-Mans, the Black Widows, the Shang-Chi's of the world. So uh, it's off to a roaring start. This is a big movie. Sequel to Doctor Strange. Uh, feels like forever since that movie came out. I mean, we got some major... Awesome Doctor Strange moments since then in Infinity War and uh, you know Endgame and Spider-Man No Way Home. So this is a big deal. This is a big film, and it's also you know the latest piece of Marvel content that we've gotten because we don't really know. And, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Kirk, but like mm-hmm. I just finished Moon Knight. I know you did the same thing. We don't really know where that lies in the timeline particularly it's kind of timeline ambiguous but this film dr strange of the multiverse of madness we do know we do know that it's after spider-man no way home which makes it the most recent timeline piece of canonical 
Marvel content that's out there right now. Right, right. And just a reminder, everyone, spoiler full. Spoilers. Yes, spoilers. We're about to become unhinged right here. Listen, there were not many Spider-Man references. As you would imagine, there would be multiple. I turned to to Cam at the end of the movie. I said, Cam, do they reference anything about Spider-Man No Way Home? And you said... Very briefly in yeah. the cafe, Very briefly. I said, "Ah, yes." I rewound the movie in my mind, and I found those words. I mean, pretty crazy. Very recently, this phase four has been a lot of uh, standalone, isolated films, not truly yes. connecting out there. They right. want to have them as self-contained as possible, which we'll talk about. And this marks, in my opinion the first major tie-in of show content, MCU show content into the films. We've had dabblings. We've had post-credit scenes, Easter eggs, yada, yada, yada. This was WandaVision straight into Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Truly, in many ways, you could also say that this is a sequel to WandaVision as much as it is a sequel to the first Doctor Strange, or, or, or maybe even more so than it is a, a sequel to the to the first Doctor Strange. Right. If you have not seen WandaVision before you see this, I mean, you can do it, but yeah. it really, it's a disservice. I, I told my dad he was about to go see it this week, and I said, binge it. Binge it real quick. You have because to. Yeah. You will more greatly appreciate the story. Otherwise, you're going to be walking in like, huh? What's going on? Yeah, absolutely. It's wild. Absolutely. This is this is just as much a Wanda movie as it is a Doctor Strange movie. So we're going to get into it. All the details, like Kirk said, spoiler full. So if you have not seen Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, there yeah. really is no way to talk about this movie without spoiling things. Like, like yeah. so many of the pivotal scenes have massive spoilers in them. So many of the plot drivers are spoilers in and of themselves. Like it's, it really would be a difficult film to talk about spoiler free anyway, but we're going to start with that. We're going to review the film. We're going to give our scores just like we usually do on Thursdays. And then we're going to get into some MCU talk because with every one of these films, there has to be discussion about what of this film carries forward what comes next what does this mean and then i want to talk about the state of the mcu right now because right now where we are at in phase four if you look back even to phase three phase two phase one the amount of content mcu content we're getting per year is astronomically higher so so the question then becomes is the mcu in a better place a richer place a fuller place or do we do we miss the original cadence? Do we miss the original level of content, etc.? So kind of looking at where things are, where we think things are going, and evaluating, like, is it in a good spot or is it off the rails? I think that's a good discussion to have at this moment. All right, Kirk, you ready to get into this? I am so ready. Let me, uh, are we going to cue something up in some way? (laughs) No. Oh, I'm normally used to popping up. I know. I was going to say, we're not popping it up. So this is going to throw off your vibe a little bit. Can we pop it up just because? I mean, we can. Is that, would that make you happy, Kirk? Well, I've got my wand here. I just want to cast a spell with this popcorn. Are you ready? Ready. A little delayed, but. It worked. Oh, and you Perfect. made and you made that graphic appear. So that was pretty Thank fancy. You. Pretty Ooh, fancy. Wait, great. That way. Oh no, that way. Great work. Okay. Um, 
Always with the props, Kirk. I appreciate the attention to detail as always. Okay. So we're talking Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, one of the most anticipated films uh, in recent history. I mean, I know that when Disney did their big showcase at Comic-Con where they rolled out the red carpet for the future phases and people were just absolutely going berserk, losing their heads about everything that was getting announced. Shang-Chi, Blade, Eternals, everything. I mean, just so many things. The television shows. This was one that almost everybody circled on their calendar because the noise about it at that time was that this was going to be the first Marvel movie that had legit horror elements. This was going to be, you know, a a Wanda and Doctor Strange duo movie and that it was going to unlock many things for the future of the MCU, almost like an Avengers event level type of movie. So... Many of those things have proven to be true, and we'll talk about which ones, you know, if it lived up to the to the scope of, say, an Avengers level or even a Captain America Civil War type of movie. Um, but we'll get into that. But first, we're going to synopse this movie, and I'm going to kick us off this week. So, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, of course, a sequel to its predecessor, Doctor Strange, but really a sequel to WandaVision in many ways. So, the reason for that is that we start in the plot of this movie really with Dr. Strange kind of just living his life. He has to, he's kind of having to deal with himself for the first time in a long time. He's trying to figure out who he is, what makes him happy, etc. He's, you know, he's dealing with some tough emotions because he's going to the wedding of his ex played by Rachel McAdams. Um, and it's, it's very emotional for him when he, you know, finally gets to jump back into superhero mode where he's happy. But when he does, he, he encounters, uh, America Chavez, played by Sochi Gomez. And at that time, he realizes that something weird is going on. She, he, he feels like he remembers her from a dream, and she tells him, those aren't dreams, that's the multiverse. I can travel through the multiverse, and I am here because I am being chased by something. Something is, is hunting me, trying to kidnap me, and bring me back because they want to harness my power. And so Dr. Strange is like, wow, we got to figure this out. He goes to ask Wanda for help and comes to find out that it's actually the Scarlet Witch herself who is the one sending these monsters after America Chavez trying to harness her power. Because if you'll recall from WandaVision, she at the very end of that show gets hold of the Darkhold, which is the book of all the dark arts, and is going to find a way to find Billy and Tommy Maximoff, her kids who she had to eliminate along with the hex in her reality. So she's going to find a way to tap into that. And she feels like if she can harness America Chavez's power, she can get back to her kids. Simple as that. Obviously, Dr. Strange is not down with this plan, snatching the soul of a young, innocent girl, putting them, playing with the multiverse, playing with the Darkhold. He cannot let this slide. Um, and so it starts off him trying to protect America and, Along the way, getting lost in the multiverse, hopping through all sorts of different realities, all while being chased by Wanda. So, lots to unpack there. And as busy as that sounds, I can I can ensure you, um, and, and, and as you probably know if you've seen the film, there is just so much more to unpack. Kirk, anything that I missed? I don't know that you could create a more comprehensive synopsis of Doctor Strange and the oh, Multiverse of Madness. stop it. Stop I said it. my piece. I said it. You're too kind. You're too kind. Okay. 
Well, we'll start simple before we get really out there. We'll start with the acting performances, right? That's nice and easy. We can digest that before we get into the multiverse and all of the complications that come along with that. So I will kick us off once again here with our category called In the Oscar Goes To, which goes to the best actor in the film. This time, I'm going with Mami Wanda. Mommy Wanda, right here. This is this, I got. I have a prop now, Kirk. How's it feel? Are you feeling? Am I encroaching on your territory here? I'll be right back. I'm gonna find everything in my house. You're gonna come back with the full Scarlet Witch cosplay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm going with Elizabeth Olsen, who plays Wanda Maximoff, um, because this was a different. <laughs> task for her you know she's been playing Wanda for a long time she's had to go through a ton of transition as her as a character maybe maybe more than anyone you know starting off with her brother uh, Quicksilver in Sokovia you know trying to shut down the Avengers getting you know kind of saved salvation redemption etc she goes through the whole Lagos situation. She gets trained to be kind of like a covert operative by Scarlet Witch. Or, I mean, sorry, by Black Widow. Too many colors. Um, and she loses the accent. She falls in love with Vision. She has all of the crazy WandaVision stuff after having to kill Vision. I mean, she, she has run the whole gamut. And she continues to evolve and evolve and evolve this character. But this time... She has to take on an even more different task. She's always kind of walked this border between like good and, you know, not necessarily evil, but, but more so like misunderstanding where that line ends, you know, where it's like, I'm helping myself at the expense of everyone else, or I'm helping others at the expense of myself. You know, she's always sort of in that area. This time she's full bore villain, right? Like she has been taken over by the Darkhold. Her mind is uh, poisoned by it. The good Wanda is gone, you know, sort of buried in her subconscious in a way. And so what we're left with is the vengeful uh, Sokovian accent Scarlet Witch, you know, who is like here to do business. And there's still a little bit of that Wanda in there. You can sense that there, there is there is something fighting from within her. And I just love the way that Elizabeth Olsen conveys this, especially because I feel like she doesn't get much time to explain her position before she's thrust into that role. You know, she gets the one dialogue exchange with Doctor Strange in her sort of like fake Garden of Eden that she's created before she's like, listen, it's on and you're going to get out of my way. And so that is, it's tough to take such a drastic leap and take the, take the audience along with you. But I feel like Elizabeth Olsen does it really well. She doesn't get a ton of dialogue to get her point across. And so she relies on some things that she is just really good at as, as an actor, some, some of her natural abilities, um, to convey emotion through her eyes. It's always been one of her amazing skills. And then also her, the tonality of her voice and her delivery. She has the ability to just literally flip a switch in the way that she's delivering lines to show you without necessarily telling you that Wanda is gone. The Wanda you knew is gone and there is a new sheriff in town and she is not nice. So, um, Elizabeth Olsen, great job. She, she does a full gamut of different things here. She's asked to do, a ton by director Sam Raimi and writer Michael Waldron, and she balances it really well and creates a really good, compelling character arc. 
Yeah, I also picked Elizabeth Olsen as my Oscar goes to. It's that simple. There are so so many nuances in here where one can play an evil person. You can scream. You can look mean. You can look angry. You can go by the evil acts and tasks written by the screenwriters. Um, But there's something else when you claim those moments, when you really listen to the words you're saying in a way that she is playful in her annoyance and in her sarcasm, you kind of, you kind of get uh, like, she knows what the good guys are going to say to her. She knows what they're going to say for her to stop. But her mission, her sole mission is to be with her kids. And so you get this, this uh, woman scorned who is like, get out of my way. Oh, you want to talk to me like that? Oh, should I pretend to be that way? Fat chance. Like she just goes for it over and over again in a multitude of ways uh, that we we get to experience just the many the many shades uh, of Elizabeth Olsen in this film. One of the things that I absolutely want to know, and this is just personal, is that there's this uh, acting technique called sense memory where you recall the way you physically felt to enact your your emotions for that scene. This is when you see people gagging, right? So or, or almost on the verge of gagging, or or an intense restrictive emotion, um, like with tears welling in their eyes you kind of recall a moment in your life that you can pull up like a like a library card or or like the matrix you're fanning through everything you're like oh i'm going to utilize that right now plug in and go for this particular scene i mean throughout this whole movie you're saying wanda who hurt you we know exactly what has hurt her which was agatha and herself and her own trauma uh losing vision there's all these things that that came together in wanda vision that completely ripped her apart and and had her unhinged and elizabeth olsen dials into every single thing there's not a moment where she is phoning it in there's not a moment where she says "Eh, i could just let the words guide me on this i want to know those moments is it related to the the twins sisters you know mary kate nashley fame is it the jealousy of that that catapults her into showing this trauma because if you really listen to interviews of actors across the years you can find out like not the one that's the most messed up or just the one who was most misunderstood is really what's key. And I feel like Elizabeth Olsen is finally being understood through her art and through her performances because every chance she gets on screen, she tells us something new and I'm just in awe of it all the time from her, from her physical technical um, acting and study of how she moves. Her hands is very specific to every time she responds to different characters. She is spooky she is clean. She is on fire in this movie. Congrats, Elizabeth Olsen. Nice. Yeah, good picks. Uh, she, I mean, there, there's just no doubt about it. I think you and I both said it. I mean, she's asked to do so much. She, like, there's, there's so much put on her in this movie, and she has to really commit to some weird stuff, you know, that, yes. that the director, Sam Raimi, uh, is asking her to do. And, of course, he has a, uh, you know, a bevy of experience doing such things and asking people to do these a things. bevy. I don't know. Ooh. I was, I was, I was not confident in that word usage. Hold on. Well, I believed it. Hold on. A I large group. Yeah. Or things, a large group of people or things of a particular kind. So a bevy of experience. Bravo. Boom. The word of the day. 
<laughs> um, that, that stressed me out. I, I was like, don't do it. Don't use it. And then I did. <laughs> and then you had to call attention to it, Kirk. But no, it's, uh, he really does. He, you know, if you've seen the evil dead movies, if you've seen dark man, if you've seen the, you know, the weird, uh, horror stuff that he does, um, you know, that's what's that's what Elizabeth Olsen's being asked to do within the confines of the character Wanda and Scarlet Witch, which makes it all the more difficult. She balanced it with grace and and just insane talent as she always does. Okay, scene stealer. I, I'm I think I'm going off the board here, Kirk. I'll be surprised if you pick the same person that I do, Ooh. but but we'll see. I'm going with Benedict Wong, who plays Wong. Um, this is this is this guy is like. I always use sports analogies because I'm a stereotypical dude, but like I've been watching a ton of basketball recently because of the playoffs that are going on. But this is a guy who is a role player who knows his role. And honestly, I could watch, I would watch a series on Wong. I would watch a whole movie of Wong because the character that he carves out and has carved out over the course of Dr. Strange one infinity war end game, uh, Shang-Chi, you know, all of these things that he's appeared in is a really freaking awesome character. And he just continues to bring a level of consistency and a level of energy and pizzazz um, in a franchise, meaning the two Doctor Strange movies, that honestly kind, kind of needs it. I think one of the big critiques with the first Doctor Strange movie, uh, of which I am actually a pretty big fan, I feel like it tells a really compelling story, but one of the one of the complaints about it is that like it's a movie about magic, that doesn't feel very magical. <laughs> you know, it doesn't feel very like um, exciting or high energy or colorful or whatever. And Benedict Wong, I feel like, brings that to Doctor Strange. He brings a level of style. He's He's got his own aesthetic. He's got, he's just really carved out a lovely character. And in this movie, you know, Doctor Strange and Sochi Gomez are out there gallivanting around the multiverse and he's holding it down at home the whole time and just taking blow after blow from Wanda and her big giant goons on, on Mount Wondegore, uh, you know, like he, he's just divvying, you know, getting it dished out, but he, he delivers an awesome performance the whole way. I mean, just a really consistent, really solid performance. It's, it's not anything that like jumps off the screen, but there's just a level of, professionalism and quality and, and I don't know, just great character work that's being done by Benedict Wong in all these movies. And in this one, it continued to catch my attention. So I just wanted to highlight it because I know that there are some other choices out there. This is obviously a huge cast of characters in this movie, but um, Benedict Wong has been here. He's been doing it and he continues to add to this franchise, even when it goes to its most outrageous lengths yet. So Benedict Wong, as Wong. Wonderful. I just finally watched the Sam Rockwell film Moon the other night. Mm, yes. And I was looking at the credits and Benedict Wong's name appears. And I'm like, wait, what? Blink and you miss it. He's in that movie. Most oh, of the time it's, it's Sam Rockwell uh, stranded on the moon. Right. <laughs> and he appears and I had to rewind it. I was like, oh, well, yeah, there he is. Like just boom and gone. So oh, that's funny. Uh, I mean, top 10 credits. So bravo, Benedict Wong. It was wonderful seeing you again in the same weekend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, great choice. I'm going to go my scene stealer. Someone who deserves credit that I don't think will get a lot of credit for 
this role, even though it's a substantial role, this person has played it multiple times, but there is division amongst the the multiverse of uh, fans of the MCU. And I don't want this to get past um, this particular conversation. So I hope you're listening to this. My scene stealer does go to Dr. Stephen Strange, Mr. Benedict Cumberbatch. And the reason I picked him is because as I've kind of reflected on every performance uh, of Benedict as, uh, uh, as Dr. Strange is that he's not written quite right for the MCU stage because he's cracking jokes throughout this entire film, which 99% of them don't land. Um, but then you see him against other characters and all of his scenes make sense and everything is very fluid and everything is very powerful. What is the problem with the writing of Dr. Strange right now and has plenty of time to be fixed is that Dr. Strange's character is the straight man. So if you give him jokes to play, unless they're sharp and extremely judgmental, then they're not going to land. If they're slightly goofy in any regard, they're not going to land. So you need to pair him with someone who's going to be the outlandish person, which is why a lot of the times him and Wong's scene, uh, they play out well because Wong has the opportunity to be a bit more flexible, to be a, a little bit more goofier, but only to an extent. So we, with, when we had him with uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s uh, Iron Man, uh, we had plenty of time for that playfulness because those played off so well. There's a lot of ego. So to his performance specifically, um, he's not playing around. He is playing that script. He is listening and reading and studying it and just going for it. On top of that, he was given the opportunity of all this what if stuff and he was able to play with it to its fullest. His movement as the zombie, which I had no idea that zombie would play out. It would continue to move and we would get full shots of it and he would be running <laughs> as a zombie and talking and speaking as a zombie. And never did I imagine that that would play out realistically and the way that benedict cumberbatch played it out with that giant opening of his jaw and you can see his all of his canines just beautiful right there i was just in awe that i wasn't laughing at the performance that i was like yeah this is how a zombie would talk as an avatar of a of a wonderful magician sorcerer <laughs> like i put all the pieces together and i said this in any other realm would not work but benedict cumberbatch made it work on top of that he's playing just at least two other versions of himself in this film that we we get to see and, and interact with and yeah I'm, I mean, if you're not paying attention, he is doing just acrobats in acting. And it was just pretty marvelous to see, pretty marvelous to see him pull in those, those dark tie-ins from what if, and this, this full on zombie character, just creating what it should look like and, and pairing with Sam Raimi's, uh, a vision of horror in a Marvel film. So I see you Benedict Cumberbatch, and I just want to let you know that it was a great job all together and I hope we get to see more of that dynamic specifically from you. I agree, man. I I, I think I don't know. Doctor Strange has caught a lot of heat. And, yeah. and I'm not I'm not really sure why that I mean I mean I guess it's just that people don't feel the same connection to this character as they do to some of their others. I, I think I think they don't feel the same way about him as they have about Steve Rogers and, and, you know, Tony Stark and Peter Parker. There's, there's just not that same level of connection, but you know, 
Benedict Cumberbatch, we, I mean, we should be so lucky that right. guys like this are, you know, and I think, I think I feel the same way about a lot of the people that are in the MCU right now. I mean, Elizabeth Olsen is a massive talent. She could be doing anything she wanted to right now. Um, but we should be so lucky that these guys are like down with creating nerdy blockbuster comic book hits. I mean, I know there's a lot of money in it for them, but you know, they, they, they put their reputation out there too, because there's people out there who go and say, Oh, well they're it's just these stupid superhero movies. And so that tarnishes their name, but they're doing stellar, stellar work. So I mean, I want to be clear that Jared Leto was once in the running for Doctor Strange. No, so we, no. Yes, we, we should be so lucky. Seriously. Benedict looks the part and he plays the part to a T. It definitely is in the character's writing where, I mean, if you give him a character and you write him exactly as he is in the comics, this big ego, and he's a cold person. He That's is. why he can't keep Christine in his in his arms, right? right. Like she needs some warmth. Uh, to know that she is loved back, and that's just not there. They discuss it at length uh, when he is locked in his little cage uh, in the in the Illuminati scene, and there is a part of him, there is a heart in there. But his biggest flaw in in every single multiverse he encounters, as we find, is that he just has to be right, right. and that gives up a big wall. And I wish there was a way, and I hope there is a way in the future, and maybe it is his trilogy film, where we really get to see him have a breakdown moment. Because even in this movie, we we saw a little bit more of his heart, but it was all very reasonable, right? Yeah. And I just want to see someone just destroy him. And I don't know what that looks like, what it will be, whether it is, you know, the death of Christine, uh, Dr. Christine Palmer, or uh, what else that might look like. But sure. Yeah, there's there's also always this level with Marvel, you know, of bathos with Marvel where they're afraid to let things get too serious, you know, Mm -hmm. And, and when things do, they quickly play off a, a, a joke or a gag. And they do that with Dr. Strange to your point all the time. They try to give him these like one liners, these goofy jokes. And to your point, they don't always land because they feel off for him, yep. especially when he's acting in a scene, sort of like leading the scene and not really having like a, a back and forth. Um, sometimes they need to allow it to go there to, to, to let people care because Yes, we want to keep it light. They don't want to be too serious. They don't want to be too dark. That you know, That's part of their mainstream appeal, and they want to keep that intact. But there is a richness to letting things feel real and feel human, and, and sometimes humanity is dark, too. So um, that sometimes it's holds mostly, them back as well. It's mostly dark. Yeah. <laughs> we won't go there. <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll, we'll throw in a, a joke here. But um, let's get into the production so, so many, so many things to talk about. Um, and I'm going to kick us off with Showstopper. Uh, the part of the production that stole the show for me is the color grading. Color grading by Sam Raimi. I mean, this is, so this is a technique in which, um, I mean, it's not a technique. It's, it's, it's a part of analysis of any piece of art. You know, the way that color is used, the intentionality behind it, the balancing of it, um, this film is extremely vibrant and you know, there, the one thing about Scott Derrickson's Dr. Strange film, the first film was that it was a, a little bit drearier. You know, it, it, it just in general had very, a very monochrome 
sort of feel to it and at times didn't you know didn't feel magical didn't feel mystical or anything uh this film did not have that problem in the slightest in fact it was it was extremely vibrant the colors were telling a story there was an intention behind it the way colors were were positioned in each shot was stylistically um one second I'm going to try not to cough on the mic as much as humanly possible as I, as I fight for my life against this cold. But, um, you know, Sam Raimi, the thing about him is that he's going to make it look like a comic book. And comic books, the guys who color those things, um, the artists who work behind that, there is a ton of work and a ton of intentionality behind that art form. And Sam Raimi brings that to the screen. And I thought that this was, it, it almost felt like, and, and like I said, I like Scott Derrickson's Doctor Strange movie, so I don't want to say anything about that. But this feels like when Taika took the reins for Thor, there was a tone shift, a flavor shift, a, a total um, reimagining. And, and Sam Raimi got his hands on Doctor Strange and said, "Let's turn this into a comic book movie. You know, let, like let's let's see what this thing can do when it looks like a comic book." And um, I thought it was beautiful. I, I thought it looked great. The one thing you cannot point at to me in this movie is the way that things looked and were shot and how colorful and vibrant and how balanced it was aesthetically. Um, Sam Raimi is, is, has a very meticulous eye of detail. For better or worse, whether you like it or not, he is going to enforce his aesthetic on the film um, with extreme detail. He did that here, and I thought the movie was better for it. So color grading by Sam, Sam Raimi. Um, I thought it was lovely. Wonderful. Wonderful. My, oh, what do we call this category again? Showstopper. <laughs> oh, showstopper. Perfect. My showstopper was when Sam Raimi was unleashed. We get a gradual build to that, which I think was the right move because anyone who is not familiar with Sam Raimi's uh, total book uh, of filmography is that he gets he gets stuff weird. I mean, even going back to the days of Hercules and Xena Warrior Princess, I mean, this guy, he's a weird dude, but that's why you love him because no one else does uh, a film quite like him. Uh, there are there are little f- footprints of him right at the beginning, you know, when we first get introduced uh, to Wanda and she's in her bed and she wakes up and there's a twirl uh, of the camera and uh, the whole reveal uh, in the Garden of Eden, like Cam said, when the when it's revealed, that whole sequence of how that's shot and how it cuts back to her and while it's still fading around her and you get this whole swirl because swirls make people uncomfortable. Swirls make people dizzy and you have magic and you have Wanda and uh, and and Doctor Strange doing these movements that make, can make you dizzy. And so the way that he played into that, so technically matching their character movements that they have built as actors into the film, uh, into the cinematography was beautiful. And then he's like, and guess what? We're going to get zombies. We're going to get demons. We're going to kill people, just a few in some gruesome ways, just to shock you that you didn't think was going to happen in a Marvel movie. We see Black Bolt's face just implode. Uh, He just zaps himself into eternity. We see Dr. Xavier, uh, uh, Professor X, his neck gets snapped in such a sinister way that was both so exciting it was bittersweet because it happened and i was mortified but i was like man that was so well done at the same time (laughs) so you're like ah ah, 
Patrick Stewart, please. And then you're like, well, I can't complain. That was a beautiful death. Uh, and then we have zombie, like I already said, zombie Doctor Strange, those crazy demons, the way they wrapped himself around him, like the like the new cape uh, to fly him to his destination. All of those is just extraordinary Sam Raimi moments were so fun to watch and if you've seen something like evil dead if you've seen something like drag me to hell which should absolutely be a rated r movie i don't know how it's pg-13 those elements in there some of the complaints that are coming online from the fans is that it was too scary you don't know scary this is this is a a pretty a pretty tame sam raimi right um but it was still exciting and in the moments that he was intentional to be like all right, I got to do my thing here. It was really quite excellent. So when he was able to just come at it uh, and find the right places in the narrative of this film and staying true to all the characters in this film, new and old, I just thought that was pure magic, more than even the magic that we saw from our sorcerer and witch. Yeah, I do do love the way that he sort of baby stepped us into things, you know, he was, he was like, it, there were, there were hints early on in the movie. Like it's going to get weird. Like, like it's, it's going to get bumpy. I need you to come on this ride with me. Like, will you trust me and come with me? <laughs> you know, like even, even the way that they did um, the zombie strange thing, which was absolutely hilarious and beautifully campy and all of the things that Sam Raimi can bring. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> the, uh, there, there was a, there was a walking, a, a crawl, walk, run sort of situation with that, where yes. they're like, "Here's, the, here's Zombie Strange. How we feeling? How we feeling? All right, I'm like, <laughs> let that marinate for a bit. It's gonna get weirder. I'm gonna walk you into it. Like it just was, it was, it was funny how that kind of went down because this was a very different feel for the MCU." Um, which is not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. But And you know what else I loved about how we buried that Doctor Strange is that that's the scene where the Sorcerer Supreme uh, told uh, the Hulk in Infinity yep, War same how this goes how this goes down. Like, same rooftop, same section. Like, that was brilliant to... I don't know if, if a lot of people caught that, but I immediately was like, I know this place. This is brilliant. They buried him under the shingles. I was like, he's coming back. Fantastic Chekhov's gun. I've, we've seen the zombie uh, Doctor Strange in the trailers. I just thought that was just so well thought out. So yeah, bravo. literally the place where Tilda Swinton explains how the multiverse functions. <laughs> like <Yes. laughs> we've got this line, you know, we see it again in Loki, but yeah, that exact spot. And so it's like, Boop, check off gun. This, this is going to come back. Just be ready for that. Yes. Good call. Um, but let's talk about the bad things. Let's talk about the things where this movie struggled. Um, for me, this is called director shoes. So um, it's not just the director. Director has a lot of influence on the film, but in a big studio movie like this, there are other uh, people and, and parties at play. So for me, I'm going with the dialogue. Um, the dialogue especially for particular characters, there were characters there that should have had more of an emotional impact on the film. I think Dr. Christine Palmer is at the top of this list who were just there to deliver plot driving lines. And honestly, America Chavez was the same way where like 95% of the words that came out of her mouth were just like, 
and here's what we're going to do next. You know, like literally just driving the plot forward, very little character dev, very little texture, color, the types of things that you want in a really rich character. She just never really got a chance. Some of Rachel McAdams' lines, make no mistake, Rachel McAdams is, is, is a great actor. Um, but some of her lines made her sound like a bad actor because they weren't well written because they had to get from point A to point B so quickly um, to get things moving along. So so I say the dialogue, but really part of this is the pace too of the film. This is a movie where, and I, I obviously was not in the creative process for this, but I wish they had just said, hey, Sam, we need to make some changes with Doctor Strange, right? This is where he's at. This is some of the things we're thinking about. What are your thoughts about how we can liven up this character, liven up this franchise? Is very important to us. What are your thoughts? Instead of, hey, Sam, we want to bring you in because we think you have a great vision for comic books and, and can really do some wonders for this character. But here are the 20 MCU things we need to be accomplished in this film so that we can move everything else forward as well because there was, there was a tug of war there where it was like, if they had done the previous approach that I mentioned, I think we would have gotten a film that just enhanced Doctor Strange, made things better, made the franchise richer. Instead, it's like, we got some of that, but we got a lot of like, we got we to gotta move. We have to check off this box and this box and this, this box in order to move forward in phase four. These are the important things that need to happen. And at times it just felt like, I would love to see a director's cut of this movie or, or anything like to see what was on the cutting room floor because I feel like there's a lot of good stuff there, most likely. And um, yeah, it's weird. It's weird to feel like the MCU held the movie back in a way from reaching its full potential. And it certainly held characters back in this point. And we'll talk more about that a little bit later, I'm sure. But that that was how I felt with this movie because it really felt like they had so much to get done that they weren't focusing all the time on what they were doing in the film. So, um, yeah, the writing, uh, the dialogue and the pacing for me, that's, that's where it struggled. That's so true. It's so true. Some of mine spill over of my director's shoes. Um, so let's begin. I think that this movie will look like a placeholder similar to age of Ultron in the in the grand scheme of, of things in the grand scheme of phase four we'll look at this in a couple of movies and say oh i get it i get why that happened but i think we're 100 percent at a place in marvel's storytelling strengths where nothing should be a placeholder anymore everything um I mean, this this movie was mostly self-contained. All of you have to see WandaVision to understand any of this, uh, or to understand the the true core of this. But mostly, other than that, it it was contained. Where you could pick this movie up and watch it and say, "All right, we have a woman who's looking for her children. We have a, 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 a sorcerer. He's trying to contain the and uh, minimize damages. And we've got some other people who are who are in control of a higher power. And then they're all battling each other. So those elements were fine. But what what didn't work was the 
was the telling of that, right? So America Chavez comes into this in a very exciting way. The opening is fantastic uh, and, and, and just it moves, right? And then you hit that cafe scene and everything just dies when in that moment, the level was so high that it does need to dip down to give our audience a time to rest and listen carefully. And the exposition there was so... I got to tell you this, I got to tell you this, not I got to tell you this because we missed that why exactly as Cam said, we missed the the full intention of the stakes are high and here's who I am. They rushed through her at no point was I attached to America Chavez in her storyline or believability. There were a couple of I'm young, you're old quips. And uh, frankly, that's just not fun at all anymore at this stage of their storytelling. It just can't happen uh, anymore. Um, I also think that the wedding scene should have been like, whoa, this is big. And it didn't feel big at all. You had a Dr. West character that came in that I don't recall at all who he was. Um, Maybe he was in the first Dr. Strange. I do not remember him. I just know that he has a really bad hairstylist. That's just easy to say right there and then. But we needed mostly just a better exposition of each of these characters. They had no... They had no running off point. It was already, they were just going and we were supposed to be expected to know who they are. And yeah, as fans of the comic book characters and from fan buzz and from marketing buzz, like, hey, make sure you watch WandaVision. Make sure you know kind of the gist of this character. We're giving you America Chavez that's fine, but you still have to, in the moment, in the movie, give us the emotional attachment to connect with them, to follow this journey with each of them. And I just don't think we we had that at all, uh, which was pretty critical, uh, not laying the foundation for them. Yeah, I, I think it's exactly that. I think Dr. West is a good example. Like, So he was in the first movie. I think he's, if I'm remembering correctly, I didn't actually look into this, but I, I believe he's the doctor that has a patient that he's ready to be like, oh, this this guy's toast. And then Doctor Strange and Christine Palmer, uh, Dr. Christine Palmer, she's like, no, we can do this. And he's like, I'm going to do it and saves his life and what, what have you. Um, and so there's like this tiny rivalry there. But again, like take the time to make that moment significant. Take the time to have the audience recall, bring them back in, ground them in the fact that this is a sequel to that film and then go from there. And I think that the reason, you know, Michael Waldron was the writer of this movie. He was the showrunner for Loki. You know, he, he really has authored a lot of what has been defined in Marvel's multiverse playbook. You know, he, he, he and, and, and Loki, that, that's what's so funny about it is like Loki is probably, I don't know. I don't want to be hyperbolous, but like literally, I think it's their best character study maybe ever. Like, I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like the Loki, story taking that character and doing with it what they did in that show is pretty freaking awesome and doing it within the scope of the multiverse so to see this film fall short from a character dev and dialogue and storytelling standpoint hurts and i think that you know the one thing about the mcu movies that you you almost can't knock and this is why they consistently get high scores is because mm-hmm. from a storytelling perspective and a structure perspective they're solid they're very sound, very well thought out films. No, they're not the art house films with the really creative aesthetics and things like that. And, and obviously they're big blockbuster action flicks about superheroes, you know, people with capes and suits and all that stuff. But 
they are structurally, you know, conceptually very solid throughout. So this, you know, whenever you see one of these films where the story lacks or lags, it's, it, it jumps out to you because you go, hmm, this isn't the storytelling I've, I've become accustomed to and the storytelling that makes the MCU as compelling as, as it is. Um, so I'll use that as the precursor to my final thoughts and score yes. as that's obviously, you know, part of the basis. I think aesthetically what they've unlocked in this film for Doctor Strange is massive. I think, I think taking a character who I think is and will continue to be so important to the larger MCU and elevating the aesthetic appeal, the, 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 um, just the general visual storytelling of him as a character and giving him some opportunities to do some really cool, fun stuff is good. A plus. I think that that's, that was a step that was needed very much in the same way. Like I said earlier, that Thor needed a revitalization revitalization in order to reach his full, um, you know, his full, potential within Marvel. Doctor Strange needed that. He got that here. The storytelling, it it is affected. Um, and at times it's distractingly bad, to be honest with you, with with the dialogue to where you're like, oof, that was that was tough. I know that you guys are trying to trying to get to a point, but you know, walk me there. Tell me why we're going there. Tell me the story. Tell me the story. Um, and that holds it back. I, th- I think it's unfortunate. I hope, Kirk, that you're right. That in a few years we'll look back and go, okay, well, this is you know this is why all these things were important. But um, you know, it's hard. So it, it it's such a hard thing for me to score because I did have so much fun watching this movie with Sam Raimi directing his tail off, doing all the fun things that he can do, and doing it with a budget that's you know, ginormous with cool characters, people we know. Um, and I, I was a huge fan of WandaVision, so getting to revisit that, like all of those things I loved so, so much. Um, but at times I felt myself out of it in the movie because I wasn't connected to the story in any sort of major way. And even like Wanda dies at the end and it doesn't feel particularly significant because everything happens so fast and she's out there popping everybody's skulls, you know, with reckless abandon. And there's not, there's just not, I don't know. It's, it's really hard to connect with. And so when she dies, you're like, well, obviously she's not dead. And that's supposed to be this big conclusion. And you're, you're just kind of like, eh, no. So for me, uh, like I said, really hard to score. I'm actually, and maybe I'll look back in years and, and, and be like, what the heck was I thinking? Kind of like I do with my Rise of the Sky, Rise of Skywalker score. Um, don't go back and listen to that one. But um, <laughs> if I could mulligan Kirk, it would be that one. I get, I actually gave that film a seven point five, and I think it's much worse than that. Um, but I'm giving this one a seven point two out of ten. Okay, you're up. <laughs> Well, 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 welly, well, it's time to rate this movie. I was rating this movie as I often do in my head. I, I like to give myself a preliminary score, score like halfway through the movie, or if I ever get uh, kind of sucked out of the, 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 the suspension of disbelief, I'm like, hmm, I think I'm going to rate this movie right now. <laughs> and sometimes it changes uh, drastically, and sometimes it just changes by a couple of decimal points. 
I think that the stakes of this movie were so high because the most previous film that was released was Spider-Man No Way Home. And we wanted that same blow your mind feeling. And we thought, well, great, we're going to be jumping through multiverses. And we did jump through multiverses. And, you know, some people are angry that there was only just a couple that we landed on. Well, would you have rather had we had uh, like multiple like stops almost like a like a carousel like okay now we're in the the paint uh, multiverse okay great check that box all right and now we're in this one like that would have felt so arduous i think if we would have went through and this this multiverse this multiverse this multiverse i think the execution of how we how many locations we went to was actually spot on i think it really was if people look closely it comes down to the storytelling and how powerful it was and we didn't have that connection we didn't have it and it made me so sad because these are very rich characters they have a lot of history and a lot to come so all that said i have to give this movie a 6.6 out of 10 kernels and that is given with the most respect i can muster up with sam raimi at the at the wheel and these incredible actors pouring their hearts into this, the incredible uh, Illuminati fight scene, Mordo returning, giving us more, just a taste of him as a villain, and wonderful, wonderful magic, magic, magic. So, yeah, that's my score. Yeah, it's it's a tough one, man, but I mean, what, what it ultimately comes down to is when you have a story that's, when you have a movie that is a story, that's a narrative. Some movies are not. And we review movies like that as well. You know, we review everything. Um, And so you have to kind of find other ways to connect with the film, to the theming, the messaging, et cetera. I'm not going to go on that. But when you have a film that is a narrative, the story is the most important part. Right. You know, so you can't give a movie a really high score just because you had fun watching it and you thought that the visual approach was perfect and that some of the ways that they did things were good if the story hurt and that's that's exactly where i was kirk i'm just like you know i'd love to give this a higher score i would but but the story held it back so much to where it's like first of all i feel like i have to see it again to even just like figure things out (laughs) you know there was just like a lot going on and then the pacing was so torrid um but also, like, even in the moment, I, I was like, I'm not connected to this. And I should be. I should be deeply connected to it. I care deeply about these characters. Like, why am I so out of it? And it really just comes down to things like the dialogue, the pacing, um, the overall screenwriting, etc. So, you know, what's funny. We're, we're kind of giving it like a like a funeral right now with with our scores. Our, uh, we're apologizing. Yeah. Seven point two. Is that what you said? 7. Yeah. Seven point two. Yeah. 7.2, but these are good scores. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. these are movies that I would absolutely, if I saw a movie that had a 66%, a 72% on Rotten Tomatoes, I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'll give it a try. Yeah. I mean, that's anything below 50 is when you start to worry. I mean, I just watched Dear Evan Hansen and I was like, oh, why, why did this happen? <laughs> but you, you see a movie like this and the reason is that our, our, expectations are so high because we know the potential that Marvel can give us and that they should have given us. So I think this is a placeholder movie, unfortunately, and we will hope that it gives us richer, um, nostalgic feelings as we get older. Yes. All right. So that's our review 
of Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness as Kirk mutes himself to let out <laughs> an absolutely biblical cough. I've been doing the same thing this whole time. I probably, I mean, I've probably cut a hole in the multiverse uh, America Chavez style just from coughing. Um, so that's yes. that's where we're at tonight, guys. We're really we're grinding through it tonight. Um, but I want to talk about first of all. Let's talk about the the crazy the crazy stuff that happens yes. in this film and its impact on the MCU. And then let's talk about where the MCU is at. So let's do it. The obvious things. Okay. We'll talk about the big scene in the middle of the film. Uh, I mean, I don't know, la- beginning of the latter third of the film, maybe. Um, hmm. And the post credit scene. Okay. So let's start with the big scene. So, Doctor Strange meets Mordo. I'll give you a little bit of exposition, though. If you're listening at this point, I sure hope you've seen this movie or you just really don't care about spoilers. <laughs> um, Someone's crying. And so, they yeah, they're like, no! like, I was going to see it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's probably my wife. Again, she she's like, give me all the spoilers. She wants to know everything that happens. Um, the scene that we've seen in the trailers, the shield, the wheelchair, the voice, all of it, um, you know, Mordo saying the Illuminati will see you now, Dr. Stephen Strange, etc. Comes to fruition. Mordo leads Dr. Strange to the Illuminati for his judgment, for all of his multiverse hopping. Um, they're trying to put an end to all this because uh, the Stephen Strange from their universe was doing doing bad things, you know, with, with the Darkhold and all these other things. So we get the reveal of the Illuminati, which consists of Professor Xavier, 838, who, when I say 838, that's the name of the universe that we were in, right? 838. Um, He's in the yellow wheelchair, which people will remember from the 1997 Mm X-Men series. So this is not, this is not our Professor X. This is not, meaning our Professor X from X-Men, X2, United, et cetera, Logan, you know, all of those great things. Um, This is some different version, but still played by Patrick Stewart. We get a Captain Marvel variant, that is um, actually Maria Rambo, who is played by, um, oh, geez, Kirk, Lashana Lynch. That's the one. And I'm getting all these names mess- messed up. Captain Carter, played by Haley Atwell, for those of you who watched What If, um, though this doesn't appear to be the Captain Carter from What If. Who knows? Who knows, really? We don't. Right. Right. It could it's be just, it could be a there. Captain Carter variant who I mean we really don't know. Then we get the two most shocking uh I think cameos which consists of Black Bolt. <laughs> I thought the MCU would never talk about the Inhumans again. Not only did they talk about it, they brought back the dude who played Black Bolt in the much maligned ABC series. I was floored. I could not you. believe it. We have talked at length about how why the TV show actors are not the silver screen actors and to uh, on the DC side. And to prove our point, they said, yeah, we don't care that it didn't do great. We're, we're going to make it right now. And they he killed it. It was great. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it was, it was great. It was, it was insane. I, I was, I was floored by that. And then the one that made me about fall out of my chair, and and unfortunately we had a, a terrible audience. I mean, just one of the worst ever. Um, we accidentally ended up seeing it in 3D. I don't want to get into that, but 
<laughs> if, if this is an indication of what 3D audiences are like, first of all, not surprised. Second of all, never again. Yikes. Um, these people, it was like, it was like a three hour long church service in there, man. Like nobody was saying a word. People were bored yeah. to tears. I don't know. But the big cameo was John Krasinski as Reed Richards and Kirk and I looked at each other like it was a 90s sitcom. We were like, what? Heads <laughs> exploding. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Like I, I was like, this cannot be real. I, I literally thought I was dreaming for a split second. It was that much of a shock of a cameo. But the fan casting come to life on the screen I never saw the, I, I know there were leaks. I don't know if this was the leak that happened, but um, holy smokes, holy smokes. Kirk, so my, my, my question to you to, to kick off this conversation is your thoughts on the Illuminati scene and what, if anything, this will carry over into the MCU beyond this film. I think it has to. I, I really do. You know, immediately after I was thinking, they're just going to pull the rug out from underneath us and they're never going to have any of these actors play these characters again. But I feel like that would be, there would be such an uprising from the fans if that happened. I don't think they have to come back as the Illuminati uh, even anytime soon. If you want to bring them back, great, no problem. But I feel like we now have a path to visit each of these characters in a new light, whether uh, obviously we need to meet them in the past because all of them done got offed. Or, or yeah, or, or we see their variants. Exactly. Uh, now they're going to look like them, they're going to talk like them, but there's going to be something slightly askewed from them in the future, which I think is the right path to go uh, because you have these incredible actors who we all know and you have an immediate fan base around that and you know that these actors know how to play these characters or you, or you don't and you just want them to play it. In the Like in the case of John Krasinski, I absolutely need him to play uh, <laughs> that character in the Fantastic Four and help lead the family. Um, I, I even, in the moment, uh, one of the lines Wanda says, do you have a wife? And you're just like, oh my gosh, she's going to walk out from behind the, the stone wall or something. And now you're just dying like, is Emily Blunt going to be cast in that role? And Bro. will you give us even more Bro. of what we want? I just think that they have to continue this. We don't have to see them come together as the Illuminati again. But we have to see each of these individual characters continue these roles. There are only two fan castings that I've ever been like, I want this. You know, I kind of hate fan castings to be honest, because a lot of times they're not always a good actor fit. They're just a good look fit, um, which is different. And, and this is one of them. The other one being Joseph Gordon Levitt as, uh, Batman beyond. Okay. Right. So <laughs> that would have been the best, would have been. Uh, would have been the best. But this one, as soon as I started seeing the John Krasinski stuff and Emily Blunt in the Fantastic Four, I was like, holy freaking crap. This would be incredible. Yes. And I then immediately said, don't get emotionally attached to that because that will never happen. And then Kirk, John Krasinski appeared in this film. And I, yes. I could not, could not believe my eyes. And he was very Reed Richards. Um, I think the Reed Richards that we get from him in the future, if we get it from him, will be certainly different in moral approach, 
but if he brings that same delivery, um, it's going to be a beautiful thing. It's going to be, it and, and to make my official stance on this, they have to, they have to have him as Reed Richards in the yeah. core MCU. The 616 Reed Richards has to be John Krasinski at this point. If they roll that back and they're just like, ha ha, we gave you guys the cameo you wanted. I think there will be riots in the streets. I, th- I think people will freaking lose their marbles. Um, and, and honestly, for different reasons, the Anson Mount cameo as Black Bolt is just as surprising. Like, because that show sucked. It was on ABC. Nobody watched it. Everybody who did mm-hmm. watch it hated it. <laughs> Marvel tried to bury that thing to the depths of the earth. They had a film that released around it that, like, kicked off the show. The Inhumans are great characters. Great story. I really enjoy it. Black Bolt's awesome. To bring him back and acknowledge the existence of that show, I was like, hold on, what? And I don't know. I knew they were doing the Illuminati, but I thought it would be all characters that like either were new, not touched by the MCU in any any way, shape, or form, or were people that or variants of people that we already knew. I I, I was floored by those right. two. Floored. Right. It was very well executed. Very well executed. And then they were all literally executed, which was also well done. Violently? Yes. Quite violently. Uh yeah. I mean John Krasinski got turned into one of those like cans that you open up and the snakes shoot mm-hmm. out of it. That's basically what happened to him. Yeah, and then uh, his head popped at the end. Yeah, like, like a balloon. If, oh, man, the sound that it made, you don't see it. I mean, just like, you maybe kind of see it, but you don't really see it. And that sound was just, it just like ripped your heart out of your soul as his head exploded, basically. It was insane. Also, Haley Atwell, just killing it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I, I, I need more. I need I, in half. Yeah. I need more. I know that there's another variant version of her. I just know. I know that there is. I know that this oh. was not the one we saw in What If and that she will be back. And there's no reason not to now. You you put her on the screen. There she was. So you can do it again. And you should. We will we will return to her. That absolutely unmistakably was her in Loki uh with the TVA getting captured in there, her popping in and popping out. Uh, in the TVA getting getting uh, arrested, if you will. So she's coming back. She's absolutely coming back. We will revisit the, the TVA. Yes. Uh, so I think you and I are aligned that most of that stuff is going to carry over. The Anson Mount thing, I think they could go either way with, and I think that's strategic on their part. Yes. I feel like Professor X has to appear again at least one more time in... I just, I, I don't know how they'll do it, but I feel like he has to appear in the MCU again to kick off the X-Men introduction into the MCU, which they are definitely taking their time with um, yeah. and making sure it's perfect, I'm sure. But there being a moment where Doctor Strange is like Charles Xavier, you know, like at some point in another multiverse or whatever, um, that will be, an, I feel like, an important moment, but he doesn't have to be a, a mainstay um, going forward by any means. I don't think that that's a, I don't think that's a necessary thing. And I think that's the only moment where you have the option to swap out for James McAvoy, right? So you could have him roll up yes. in the chair, and he can kind of look like him. I think we've met in a different time, yeah, yeah, in a different place. I think there's absolutely a wonderful magical oh, moment, oh, buddy. If, 
<laughs> if they want to play that card, which is totally fine too. Yeah, agreed. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call it. John Krasinski confirmed his Reed Richards, and it's gonna be incredible. And and if Emily Blunt's not Sue Storm, then we riot. Um, yes. and and that's fair. Let's talk about the state of the MCU right now. What are your thoughts about phase four? This is very broad, so I apologize in advance. But phase mm-hmm. four, what we've seen so far between the shows, the movies, you know, really starting with Black Widow, um, all the way up till where we're at now with Moon Knight and, you know, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Obviously, tons of huge entries coming later on with Thor and you know, God knows what else that we're getting this year. Black Panther, Wakanda forever. I mean, my gosh, there's going to be huge, massive things happening, but where we're at right now on the heels of Dr. Strange and the multiverse of madness, where's your head? Where's your head space? You know, Kevin Feige recently did an interview on the carpet. I don't know if it was for multiverse of madness, but someone was saying, you know, what's your master plan? You know, we've got this, we've got this, we've got this, we've got this. He's like, what's the next step? And in it, they mentioned Loki and he says, it's in there. He's like, it's, if you listen to he who remains at the end of his time, when time ends and then he doesn't know what's next, there is many things that he says. And he basically in that moment, he spells everything out is what Kevin Feige says. So, Part of that is chaos. Part of that is uh, the unknowing. Uh, And to put what this feels like in phase four, it is a little bit unnerving, but it is very much more like the comic books. You know, we had 21, 22 films where we built up to an ultimate epic war. And now we are having these miniature battles that, are not seemingly construed by one person or even a few people. They're all isolated events that are in the universe, much like real life. Think about all of the, the different conflicts and battles and active wars that we are not a part of, uh, me and Cam specifically, because we try to stay out of those things. But we are those things happen. You're like, Oh, call in this person, get them on the phone. Well, life doesn't work like that. And you have these intergalactic uh, fights and you have these, uh, these borough fights, if you will, uh, these city fights, these street fights, and all of them are big in their own right. And, and they're all might be connected and they might not. And that's the unnerving part. I really want them to be connected, but the, the understanding the understanding of comic books and lore and storytelling makes me know that if they don't get connected that's fine but at the same time i'm waiting for the right hook to get me yeah i mean i think you know everybody keeps waiting for avengers 5 you know right who's the new team and you know there there's been some noise out there that 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 such a thing will never occur that, you know, this idea that there will be large Avenger-type events um, that, that, are, that are specifically called the Avengers with the team and everything, that they, that, that may not exist in future phases. And to this point, it, it, it kind of feels like that might be the case, at least for Phase 4, that, like, whatever ends this phase may not be an Avengers movie, per se. It might be something else, um, some other big, giant crossover Event. I think there will be an Avengers team at some point, but I just think that 
looking back to phases one, two, and three for evidence of how phases four, five, six, and beyond will go is a fool's errand because the scale has been magnified to the nth degree. And, and, and to your point, Kirk, about the unnervingness of it, it makes me nervous. And I, and I don't think I was totally nervous about it until the movie that we just watched because as much as I laughed at people who were like, two hours and six minutes, this movie's going to suck. You know, the people who were like runtime traffic, trafficking and tracking. I was like, those people are goobers. But then, and then I saw the movie and I go, well, they had a lot they had to squeeze in and maybe they, you know, maybe the film suffered because of that. So I worry, I don't want the, I want these large event movies that occur. And I don't know if this necessarily qualifies as one, but you know, the civil wars, the Avenger type movies, I want them to feel as balanced as those films do. And if you look at the trajectory that we're on, the type of teams that we will have for these big movies are going to be, I don't know, at least twice as big as those movies in the first few phases, maybe up to 5X, (laughs) you know, like maybe up to five times as big. Because what it feels like, and this is what everybody's speculating about, and if you've read the comics or are familiar with the comics, Um, as most people are sort of, you know, at least tangentially familiar with the comics at this point, it feels like we're building towards Secret Wars. It feels like we're building towards this big multiversal rumble, you know. In DC, they have Crisis on Infinite Earths, which is basically the same thing, you know, multiverses colliding, you know, more characters than you can even fathom appearing, something that's never been attempted in, in a cinematic setting outside of Avengers Endgame, and this would be bigger than that, but it feels like we're building towards that. But I'm worried about how we get there, and I'm worried about keeping the spaceship in one piece as we blast off into the atmosphere because this phase has not been perfect, and and you look back at, at the first three phases and you go, there are very few clunkers in there. You know, Thor Dark World, sure. The Incredible Hulk, sure. Uh, Iron Man 2, you know, there's an argument um, argument to be made there. But, I mean, we're talking very few blemishes in the first three phases. But in this one, Black Widow could have been better. Eternals could have been better. This film, from a storytelling perspective for sure, could have been better. Cap, uh, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I want to call it Captain America and the Winter Soldier because Sam is Captain America, but right. could have been better. Should have been um, should have should have been better. What if should have been better? Um, you know, so that's that's a lot of the mainstays of a, a very brief phase so far that we're not up to that same level of quality and consistency that we've become used to. So I I do worry a bit, um, and and maybe this is the first time that I'm really starting to worry about it that this thing will will be able to hold it together. Uh, and 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 it's mm-hmm. not. For lack of trying, I think there's obviously a lot of really smart people around this. The question just becomes, is what they're trying to do even possible (laughs) in cinema? It does seem like because there's so much volume, there's less opportunity to really fine tune those things because their creative leaders are being pulled in a hundred different directions and you want to also make sure that the that the directors and the actors are creating the story 
correctly or, or in the way that is shaping it up to be right things happen from when you write a script to when you get in front of that camera and you discover something new and you're like hold on let's do it this way or at least try it right and i think that maybe we're not getting as much time to do that we're cranking everything out pretty quickly so unless the script is rock solid you don't have the opportunity to make up for that in performances so I, you know, like, you know, the quantity, you know, we were seeing more of like an 80% success in the first three phases. Now we're seeing like a 60, 65% success. And that's not great. Yeah. And and I think the other thing too, about the first three phases is that the road to where we were going was always in view. You know, you go off the path a little bit, but you can always see the path. You can always see like, you know, Ant-Man, Ant-Man comes around and you're like, what? But then but then you're like, okay, there's the path. I see how this fits in. I see where this could come back in. Here, what is the path? You know, to me, the first thing that we had in phase four that felt like, boom, this is the path, was Loki. Loki, when you and I were doing our spilled popcorn episodes on that, breaking it down week after week, it felt like, okay, the vision is coming together. I see it. I can see it. We've got the multiverse. We've got Kang. We've got Loki. We've got, you know, with the he who remains thing, being able to open up the multiverse, it's like, okay, there's the path. But then it's like, Loki and nothing relating to Loki appears in this movie at all, which many, many, many people speculated that it would because it would seem to make sense. So this movie doesn't feel like like, even though you can kind of see the path, it's not ultimately clear. And there are other films where you just, and TV shows where you have no idea how you get back to the path. Shang-Chi, all the way over here, you know? Even, like, uh, Captain uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, all the way over here. WandaVision was a little bit closer to the path, but it's not this thing where it's like, here's the path and here are the shows and movies. It's like, here's the path and, like, here's a movie, here's a movie. There's a few that are within view, but ultimately it's like, but I mean, Moon Knight, where the heck, it, like way out there, right? And I loved that show. Yeah. Um, so that is the big, that feels like the big difference right now. And that is what makes it hard to know if what they're doing will work. I mean, you trust Kevin Feige because he's done amazing things. You trust, you trust the creative teams. Um, and all the very, very, very talented people who are working on this. But right now, it's like, it's not, I don't want to call it rocky, but it's just like, not as solid, not not as steady and solid as the first three phases were. I want to look back on this very conversation and be like, oh, they got us. Yeah, oh, you for know? sure. And they will, right? Like, they, <laughs> they, if history tells us anything, it's that they will. They will do it right, and they will do amazing things with all of this. And, and I'm not saying that they won't. Um, but, you know. But right it's, now, it's, it's, it's a in, cloud. Yeah, it's right. It's definitely faces. dark. It's dark. It's foggy, right? It's mm-hmm. it's hard to see we where are they're the going. Egyptians chasing the Israelites, and all I see is a pillar of cloud, and yeah. I want to get them. I want to get them because yeah. I'm an evil Egyptian. <laughs> you want and, to know what's happening. And I want to see what's going on. I think that there still will be maybe not one 
aha moment, not one epiphany moment, but maybe several smaller ones. They wanted to create these as isolated stories. They're doing a great job as much as we want people to swing in and, uh, and, and join the story and join the team. I, I think that they will just peel something back that they've got armed and ready that will blow our minds. Well, here's the other thing too. The, the post credit scenes have not been helpful at all. No. <laughs> the post credit scenes, like which were usually helpful at helping be like, here's how this connects have been all. so all over the place, like unbelievably all over the place to an extent that's like, I, I don't even know where to begin with it. Like, in this one, you get, you know, Charlize Theron as, as Clea, right? And she's like, basically, no time to explain. <laughs> get in the car type of thing. Um, and you're just like, I'm sorry, what? You get the Harry Styles post credit scene at the end of Eternals, as well as right. the, you know, the Kit Harrington one was a little bit better with Blade and all, and all of that. But yes. the, the Harry Styles one, you're like, Huh? Even even the Shang the or sorry Shang Chi even the Shang Chi one where it's like Wong is there and Mark Ruffalo is there and Captain Marvel is there and they're like when you did this the rings made this ancient you're like okay when are we gonna hear more about that like there there's nothing there's no clues will we ever will we ever hear any more about those ones and of course of course the Spider Man No Way Home scene gets gobbled up by Sony who uses it for their own selfish reasons with venom. Um, so it's just, it's like there, there is no line of sight. Maybe I just need to be comfortable in the gray, but right now I am not, I am not comfortable. Uh, What's the next one? It is Thor, Thor, right? Yeah. And we are less than two months away from Thor. I don't, I don't see Thor answering any of these questions for us in the slightest. No, I no. think Thor is just another fantastic, Character dev yes. film uh, uh, showcasing Chris Hemsworth' incredible acting abilities, um, unless unless Kirk something that I've I've theorized that the Jane Foster that's there is not from Universe Six One Six, right? Which would be fine. Yes, it would help Thor understand the different multiverses, but is he going to travel to well, that would be great. And it would, but it still would be mostly self-contained getting Thor to travel between universes is going to be great. But if it's a different Jane Foster and she is strictly the mighty Thor and he has to travel to another multiverse where she is both. And we get the cancer backstory and I feel like there's some devastation and then he maybe he returns and then there's maybe a, a conflict of where he should live, which multiverse, right? We already had that in this one. Are you happy? You know, right? Yeah. Which multiverse do you want to live in? I'll take you there. Wanda says, okay, I could, I mean, there's no way that Thor doesn't deliver. It's just, that's just impossible uh, at this point. I agree. Um, Taika, Taika has said some amazing things about that film. Uh, you know, himself, he, he's like, Speak for myself. This is going to be great, great film. Uh, <laughs> uh, so that that inspires some hope. But 
We'll see. Uh, we'll see what the tie-ins remain, but that's the state of the MCU. And I feel like our answer about the state of the MCU was just as vague as where things are with the <laughs> MCU right now, which is like, I don't know. It feels it feels weird, but you know we're gonna trust the process and, and hope for the best. But there are other people out there, other movie review people who have uh, dug their heels in. They're like, this is not the Marvel you know. You are not going to enjoy Doctor Strange. They've lost their edge. There are people out there saying I, this. I don't see how you could be there yet. Right. I could see how you might be on the path to there. Certainly. Um. I don't see how you're. I don't see how you're all the way there yet. I, I really don't. There, there's just. It's too early. It's way too early. My problem is those same people, those same influencers, are going to edit their previous stuff, and they're going to say, "Well, guys, I told you they had it in them." Whereas we're having a real conversation about real comic book fictional characters and their subsequent equities in the stakes of their franchises individually and as a whole of Marvel and Disney. And I'm telling you right now, we have hesitations, but we trust them with all of our heart. And we will play this back in three to six months. We don't have all the answers. And, uh, you know, we want answers. I do. You know, that's a good idea. Going back and editing your stuff makes me want to go back and edit that Rise of Skywalker review. But, uh, I won't. <laughs> Don't. Don't. <laughs> I'll, I'll maintain the integrity of the podcast. That's all we have. It's all, it's all we have is our integrity. This is Cam Wiggs, and my <laughs> score for Rise of Skywalker is 5.2. <laughs> it's like it's a different point. That's not my real score. Don't take that. That's it's not gospel. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even think about that, okay? It was just a random number. Um, yeah, so... That's Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. That's the state of things in the MCU. That's the cameo breakdown. What's to come? All If you wanted Marvel talk, you got it. You got an hour and a half of it in this. All of our thoughts. We're fans just like you, obviously. Um, would love to chat more with you guys. You know how to reach us. You can do it on social. You can do it on Discord. That's, where, that's the easiest way to do it. Um, YouTube comments. I mean, for God's sakes, Twitch, follow us like our stuff, do whatever you need to do to get connected with us. We are happy to chat with you guys about it. And we are so happy that you chose to cho- to spend part of your evening with us in our coughing and my cold, my congestion. I know that that's <laughs> horrific to listen to. I get really weird about listening to it as well. So appreciate you enduring it. But for now, we will leave you and we will talk to you guys next week after a little bit of music from our friends Rhetoric, a band that is headlined by our executive producer Ryan Spriggs. Uh, Thank you guys so much for listening and we will talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.